guys, uh, you know, that was the son of uh, one of the ladies that was uh, killed in the uh, church shooting in South Carolina. And uh, I, I just want us to just take a moment as a congregation and uh, pray for that church, pray for uh, those that lost loved ones, that young man. You know, it's, you know, it just blows me away that he has the strength and the stamina to stand there uh, after losing his mother in just this horrific crime. I mean, absolutely senseless, pointless, you know, crime committed because of one man's hatred, one man's bias, one man's bigotry. And, you know, the scripture tells us that, you know, that, that God is love and therefore we should love one another. And he doesn't say just love the people of the same color that you are. I mean, that word is for blacks and whites, and it's for Asians, and it's for everyone. It's for, you know, the Bible says in Revelation that every tongue, every nation will be gathered around that throne during that time, on that day. So why don't we just stand, and why don't we just, in just, in, in just a, a show of unity, just reach over and grab your neighbor's hand, and, uh, and let's just pray. I, I just want to pray for healing for that that community and for that church. That church was founded, I think, I believe I heard in the 1700s, and the original founders of that church, again, because of hatred and because of racism, the original pastors were hung. They were, that's how the church started. They start a church and bring the pastors out and hang them publicly because they were opposed to slavery. I want you to know that God is opposed to it as well. Father, we just pray, Lord, our hearts go out to the men and women today. Uh, there's going to be an empty place at many of the tables on Father's Day because someone lost a father in that shooting. Lord, we pray you know, your healing hand to be upon them. Lord, we already see a community coming together and a nation coming together and it's unfortunate that it takes a tragedy like this to bring people together. But we ask your healing hand upon uh, those that have lost loved ones uh, in, that, in that church shooting. Pray your protection over that church. Pray, God, that you would heal. Your word talks about how, how uh, sorrow comes, but then joy comes in the morning. And maybe sorrow, they may be going through this time of sorrow and grief. And I know that some of you right here today are going through, still going through a period of sorrow and grief because of lost loved ones. But Lord, we just pray your healing hand to be upon that church and anyone in this place that's going through sorrow and grief right now. There's a word from the book of Malachi that says, let the son of righteousness overshadow you with healing in his wings. And I pray that for that church and everyone that has a broken heart today. Your word says that Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. And we say, Father, in the name of your son, Jesus, loose your Holy Spirit in this place and in that church in South Carolina and over that community with healing in your wings. Let the son of righteousness overshadow them with healing in his wings and bring peace and restoration to that broken community. We ask this in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. That um, broke my heart. And uh, I know it did yours as well. But God is good. We serve a good God. And, uh, you know, we, we ask this question, and we ask it a thousand times, and we're always looking for the why answer and, and the why answer is, you know, not, you know, necessarily an individual. It's not gun control or gun laws or more stricter this or that. The bottom line is, folks, that there is evil. There is evil in this world. There is a real devil. There is a Satan that rep represents evil in this world. And there is goodness in this world as well. As we can see, it's being demonstrated in South Carolina right now. And that goodness, as those good things come from our Father in heaven, who is the author of good things. Amen? Um, I want to wish you all a happy Father's Day. Um, I want to, uh, 
I'm going to be talking about prayer this morning. We're going to be looking at a passage of scripture out of uh, out of uh, Judges, uh, or I'm sorry, Joshua chapter uh, six and seven. But before we get there, I'm going to just talk about uh, you know, have you guys ever had one of those moments, one of those days where it's just like, oh my gosh, just like don't add one more thing. I mean, I don't have, don't add one more thing to my schedule. I mean, I barely have time to breathe. You know, it's just like I can even, you know, if you add, you add one more thing to me, it's going to, you know, take away my breath, maybe my life. Um, you know, this last week, it wasn't anywhere near that close, but uh, on, I think it was last Thursday, I would uh, planned on me, meeting Benji. Uh, youth are going to go up to our property in Angel Fire for a youth retreat. And I met Benji and Alfredo up there. Um, and wanted to show them. They went, had never, Benji had never been to our, the ranch before, so I wanted to show him around how things worked. Uh, at the same, just before Benji showed up, the surveyor showed up, and I was supposed to spend some time with them. So they took off, and uh, Benji shows up, and then my guys show up and say that uh, you know my guys that are working there, that you know that uh, are on the payroll working there, show up and said that on the backhoe, the back tire, not the front tire. The front tire is probably a lot like your car tire. But the back tire is about like so tall, and I, it, it weighs hundreds and hundreds of pounds, and there's a flat on it, so it just shut down the whole job. And to complicate things, they didn't have a tool to take it off. They didn't have uh, the right size lug, uh, you know, lug wrench or the socket. And so uh, show Benji around. Benji and, and Alfredo are looking, and uh, the surveyors have taken off. And I thought, okay. Um, I'm going to go to Angel Fire, but before I go to Angel Fire, I'm, I don't know what size it is. And so I called the company, the, man, the, uh, the uh, case equipment uh, dealership in Albuquerque, and I said, you know, I'm up here in the mountains, and I need to know what size lug uh, you know, nut that I need or socket do I need to change this uh, tire. And the guy said, give me just a minute. I'll go back and talk to my mechanic. So he goes back, and he says, you need an inch and three sixteenths. And I said, you're sure? And he said, yeah, my mechanic said an inch and three sixteenths. Absolutely sure, yes. All right, so I'm going to Angel Fire. I'm driving to Angel Fire about, you know, 25, 30 minutes away. This is going to take, this is going to be about a two-hour round trip. I get to Angel Fire and go into a Napa store, and they have a line of sockets that are just stretched out from here to there, and I just noticed that, like, from behind the counter, there was a gap. And one socket, one socket was missing. And so I asked the lady, I said, uh, I need an inch and three sixteenths. And she goes right over to the gap. And I, she said, I'm sorry, we don't have one. Uh, next stop is Taos. Now, there's a, a guy that I know that lives in Angel Fire. And uh, he has been so busy. He's in the construction business. And I thought, you know, if I could find him... Uh, I bet he has the right tool in his shop. And so, uh, but the last, I'm, I'm serious and not exaggerating, the last 20 times I've tried to call him, I've never been able to get a hold of him. And I just thought, you know, this is futile. I, I, don't, I don't even want to waste the phone call. So I turn around and I start walking out the door, and guess who's walking in the door? <laughs> the guy that I need to talk to. And not only that, he says, look, I've got everything that you need in my truck. Just take it. He says, I've got an inch and three sixteenths. He said, but take all of my sockets and take the, the bar and, you know, there's a cheater bar and stuff that goes with it. So, I'm, man, I'm so grateful. I'm praising God. I can call a friend of mine that we had just talked about. We were just talking about how another pastor friend, we were talking about how good God was or who, how, good, how good God is. And I was just telling him this story. And so I'm driving up to the ranch, and we get to the backhoe. I pull out inch and three sixteenths, and guess what? It's not the right size. It's not the right size. And so fortunately, I go through the rest of his box, and he has the exact socket that I need to change the tire. And so got the tire changed, and then I thought, well, I, my, I've got, still got to go back to Taos to... Um, you know, get the tire fixed. And I mean, we're, we're talking about a $750 tire. This is not just an automobile tire. This is an expensive tire. And so I'm thinking, Lord, man, it's like, you know, this is Thursday. We're halfway through the day. By the time I get to Taos and back, you know, you know, I, I just thought, you know, don't do it. 
I mean, there's something inside of me just that don't do it. And so I just told my guys, I said, look, look we're going to make it a short work week. Let's load up the tire in my truck, and I'll take the tire back to Santa Fe, and you guys can start fresh on, on Monday. So I take the tire to the dealership, and the guy looks at it, and he said, hey, this is a manufacturer defect. This tire's going to be free for you. <laughs> so if I'd have gone to Taos, I'd have bought a $750 tire that, you know, wouldn't have got the rebate, wouldn't have got the warranty on it. And so, you know, God is always watching over us. There's a point that I'm trying to make, that God is there and if we'll just be sensitive, you'll be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and be sensitive to, you know, what God is trying to say. There's that always, that still small voice the Bible talks about, um, you know, that is always speaking. That all, It's just always speaking. And sometimes we're so preoccupied and pre-busy, it's like, God, you know, don't talk to me now. I'm, I'm busy. I'm, you know, I'm occupied. I'm doing something. And well, I'll get together with you after I finish my busyness. You know what? If you ask, I, I'm just going to give this to you as a test today, okay? You ask the next 10 people that you see when you walk out of this, these doors, you know, how's life? You know the first word that they're going to say? Nine times out of 10, people are going to say, man, I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. And all of us are busy. And sometimes I think we're too busy. But if we're too busy for God, if we're too busy for prayer, if we're too busy to read the word of God, let me tell you something. We're too busy. Amen? Brian, was that you that was singing earlier? Dude, you got an awesome voice. That was great. <laughs> that was good. That was good. All right. I'm con concerned about, not just because of what happened in, uh, in South Carolina. This has been on my heart for a long time. But I'm concerned about our nation and the way our nation, where our nation is going and, um, and where we're headed. Um, and I don't know, and I'm not going to say there's a correlation between what I'm going to share with you now, some statistics, um, but there could be. Uh, in uh, prayer in school prior to 1962, and, you know, I, I was in school then. Prayer in school prior to 1962 was utilized in school districts everywhere in the United States. And some teachers used extemporaneous prayers, simply expressing their thoughts and desires. Others implemented structured prayers, such as the Lord's Prayer or Psalm 23. And others approved by local school boards. Uh, in New York, students prayed this prayer every day. Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence on you and beg your blessing over us, our parents, and our teachers, and our nation. Very uh, it's generic. You know, I mean, anybody could pray that prayer without being offended, or most people could. But it was this prayer, and I'll read it again. Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence on you, and we beg your blessing over us, our parents, our teachers, and our nation. Um, this prayer went before the Supreme Court, and it was a landmark decision decided by the United States Supreme Court that prayer should be taken out of school. And much has been said for both uh, for and against prayer in school, but there's little doubt that neither the Lord Jesus himself nor the founding fathers would have been in favor of forced or state-sponsored prayer. The option to prayer or to pray or to not to pray is a matter of individual choice and has, come, has to come from the heart. It's not a matter of some, uh, some doubt whether the actual doing away with prayer in school has been directly contributed to the escalation of teenage pregnancies, uh, suicides, downward spirals of SAT scores. The Pharisees thought that they would be heard for their much speaking, and similarly, it, questioned, it was questionable as to how much value there is in canned prayer, even if it's recited by thousands of people. But uh, what really caused the downward spiral, spiral of our nation? Some have suggested that a casual relationship between taking prayer out of school and all the other bad things that are happening in our society, I'm not so sure that that's a valid point. Um, but I want to go on and just, let me just uh, move through this. You know, when we remove prayer from school, we remove prayer from, uh, you know, from the human heart. If prayer doesn't really come from our heart and we're just doing a rote kind of prayer, it doesn't mean anything to God. I mean, we can all be sitting here saying the same prayer and if it's not, I mean, we can have it on our overhead. And if it's not really a prayer that's coming from our heart, 
it, it's just kind of like meaningless to God. And I'll get to some scriptures that kind of, and if you want to look, if you want to look at just Isaiah chapter 1, you know, he talks about that. God's saying, you know, away with it. He said, I am tired. Your prayers are meaningless because, you know, because you're not, your heart is not with me. It's like, you know, you can come together and you can say some religious prayers and you think that that's pleasing me, but your heart is really not with me. Um, for 15 years uh, before prayer and the Word of God was, I think it was 62 and 63. Prayer was taken out in 62. The Word of God was taken out of schools in 63. But for 15 years before 1963, listen to that, listen to this. It says, pregnancy in girls ages 15 through 19 had been no more than 15 per thousand. 15 per thousand. It said, after 1963, after prayer and the word of God was taking out of schools, and, uh, teenage pregnancies increased 187% uh, for the next 15 years. For girls younger uh, ages from 10 to 14, since 1963, pregnancies were up 553%. Before uh, 1963, sexually transmitted diseases among students were 400 per 100,000. Since 1963, they were up 226%. The family. Before 1963, the divorce rate had been declining for 15 years. After 1963, divorce has increased 300% each year for the next 15 years. Since 1963, unmarried people living together is up 353%. Since 1963, single-parent families are up 140%. Since 1963, single-parent families with children are up 160%. Education. The education standard is measured uh, through the SAT uh, scores. Uh, they've been steady for many years before 1963, steadily increasing. From 1963 until now, they've been rapidly declining for 18 consecutive years, even though the same test has been used since 1941. In 1974 and 1975, the rate of decline of the SAT scores decreased, even though they continued to decline, they were, uh, there was, when there was an explosion of private religion, that one, uh, 1,000 Christian schools in 1965, and between 1974 and 1984, it increased to 32,000 Christian schools. Uh, that could have an impact on private schools that had a higher SAT score and checking with the SAT board. It was found that indeed SAT scores for private schools were nearly 100 points higher than all public schools. In fact, the scores were at a point where public schools had been before their decline started in 63 when prayer and Bible reading and uh, uh, instruction was removed from the school. The scores in public schools were still declining. Of the top nations, academic scholars, three times as many come from private religious schools which operate on one-third the funds as do the other schools. About our nation, since 1963, Violent crime has increased in our nation 544%. This is after we've removed prayer and the reading of the word of God in public schools. Illegal drugs have become an enormous uncontrollable problem. The nation has been deprived of an estimated 30 million citizens through legal abortion since 1973. So, you know, these are all things that I believe that are contributing to the decline of our nation. The Bible says that if my people that are called by my name, that would be Christians and Jews, and, you know, those that trust in, in the Lord, my people, God says, he's not waiting on the world, he's not waiting on unbelieving uh, people to call on his name, but he says, if my people that are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I would hear from heaven and I would forgive their sins and I would heal their land. Now, don't you think that, you know, having read these statistics, that our nation needs healing? Would you agree? I, I agree. I mean, we need, I mean, we're, we're on a collision course. I mean, we're, we're going to self-destruct unless we see a change in our nation. And that change is not going to come from our political system. I mean, both parties, or all three parties, politics is not the answer unless the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords comes to reigns and then politics will be the answer during that time. That's not going to happen until the millennial reign. And so I want to, uh, I want to talk to you today about prayer. I want to talk to you about, you know, answered prayer. 
and I'm going to talk to you about unanswered prayer, and then I'm going to talk to you about those that are just kind of like, or, you know, just kind of like drifting away. I was coming back from Salt Lake City uh, this last week and driving, and I had my GPS out, and I'm looking on the interstate. I was on Interstate 70, and I'm looking for a city or a town called Thompson Springs. And uh, before I got to, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at my GPS, I'm on course, I'm, you know, everything is right, and uh, watching, I've, I've got the little, here you are, the little blue dot, and kind of shows you constantly moving. And uh, I got a call, I got a call from Frank, and we're talking, we spoke for probably 25 minutes or so. I got a call from Benji, and we talked for another 25 minutes or so. And all of a sudden, I realized that I'm looking at the little blue dot, and I'm looking at Thompson Springs, and it's like, I have passed Thompson Springs by about 40 minutes. Uh, and, I, you know, and it was, it was just innocent. You know, I mean, I'm just driving, you know, talking, living life, you know, you know just on the road. And, you know, I want to just tell you that life is like that. Our life with God is like that, that we can get so busy with life that, you know, we're still moving. We're going, we're going in the direction that we think we're supposed to be going in, and all of a sudden we realize, wait a minute, I've missed something. I missed my spot. I missed the spot that I was supposed to turn off on. And so, you know, I do a U-turn, and I go back, and I'm, I'm thinking, how did I miss a city? I mean, how could I miss a city or a town? I mean, how does that happen? I know that I, you know, I mean, I wasn't paying close attention, but I was somewhat paying attention. Well, what happened is when I got back to where Thompson Springs were, uh, was, you know, the, uh, the I-70 or Interstate 70 is east-west. And when I was going east, uh, the westbound lane was about, oh, I don't know, 50 feet higher than the, uh, than the eastbound lane. And when I turned around, and take the exit at Thompson Springs. It's a lot like if you've ever been to Klein's Corners. There's four corners there, but there's only one gas station on the corner. And that's the way Thompson Springs was. And so I couldn't see it, drove right past it. And, you know, I, I just want to say that, you know, I believe that we do that all the time. You know, it's just like, you know, we pass things in our life that are important to us because we're so busy, we're preoccupied doing other things. And, you know, I, I believe that there's an order of things. Uh, this morning, you know, today is Father's Day, and I was reading from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And, and if you're a father here today, I, I just want to, you know, I just want to tell you one thing, that from Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, Jesus was asked, uh, I think in Matthew, by one of the religious leaders, you know, those that were trying to entrap him, uh, what was the greatest commandment. And he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, and he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, two great commandments. And he says, on these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. But if you read just a little bit further, it talks about fathers. And it talks about fathers' duties and fathers' responsibilities. And it talks about, you know, how fathers should train their children and teach their children the word of God. And, you know, talk about the word of God. He says, you know, when you get up, and when you are taking a walk, when you're in the house, when you're sitting down, when you're having a meal together, when you lie down at night to speak the Word of God, talk to your children about the Word of God. And if you're a dad here today, I just want to tell you the greatest thing that you can do for your children as a father, the greatest thing that you can do is to love God. Absolutely. If you love God, then everything else will fall into place. Amen? All right, so on with the word here. Uh, just a little bit of a background. Uh, the children of Israel had been in uh, Egypt uh, in slavery for 400 years. God raises up a deliverer for them. His name is Moses. Moses uh, comes out. He parts the Red Sea, and, and uh, you know, uh, they go across. The waters collapse and, and uh, kill Pharaoh's army that was after them. And then they get into, well, up close to the promised land. For 400 years, now think about this, talking about getting busy and getting preoccupied, you know, for 400 years they've been talking about it, that one day God is going to raise up a deliverer and he's going to get us out of the land of Egypt. And so Moses shows up, they get to right to the edge of the promised land. They're at the threshold of something good. They're at the threshold of something great. 
the land of milk and honey. God says, I'm going to give you houses that you didn't build, and I'm going to give you vineyards that you didn't plant. I'm going to give you wells that you didn't dig. He said, I'm going to bless you. That's the heart of God, by the way. You know, I mean, sometimes we think of the heart of God is the hammer, the fist, the big whip. The heart of God is to bless you. You understand that? Do we understand that as a congregation? That the heart of God is to pour out blessing on you. That's why he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, okay? So, uh, so Moses gets right into the promised land, and he sends in some spies. The spies come back with a doubting, unbelieving report. They didn't believe God's word because God said, I'm going to give it to you. And they came back and they said, yeah, you know, I mean, the land's just like God said it was. It's beautiful. It's flowing with milk and honey. It's a beautiful place. But the people there, I mean, it's going to be impossible. It's going to be impossible for us to take the land because they outnumber us. And, you know, what God says, if you go back to that scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and 7, he says, I am going to. He tells them beforehand. He says, I'm going to send you into a place, you know, and there are nations there that are greater than you. He said, I didn't choose you because you're the greatest nation. He said, I chose you because you were the least of the nations. You were the smallest in numbers compared to the nations around you. He said, he said I chose you because I love you. And I will say that to you today, that God chose you because he loves you. And so, uh, back to our story, Moses gets up to the promised land. The uh, 12 spies go in. Uh, Ten of them come back and said, it's impossible. We'll never be able to do it. And God says, because you didn't believe my word, you're, gonna, you're not going to go in. You're not going to go in for 40 years. In fact, for 40 years, you're just going to kind of like tromp around the desert, go, go around the desert, same place. You just keep walking in circles, going around the same mountain, the same tree, the same stump, you know, the same little brook, you know, the same old rock that you kicked your toe on last year, you kicked it on again this year. You know, it's like, God, man, this place looks so familiar. Yeah, you know, you've been here for 40 years. It should look familiar. It's like, okay. And, and, and that's where some of you are today that you're stuck. You're just, you know, in a circle. You just keep going the same place round and round and round. And, and it's just like there is no life. There's no life in what you're doing. It's just like there's no joy. You've lost your joy. You've lost your excitement. You've lost your enthusiasm about life. It's just like the drudgery of getting up and going to work, you know, uh, every day. And you go to work and you, you, know, you put in your eight hours and you're frustrated. You don't like your boss and half the employees. And, you know, you come home and you have a meal and, you know, you get the remote and you start flipping through the channels and you go to bed, you get up and start it all over again the next day. You know, when I was doing my real estate business, this is, you know, 20 some odd years ago, but I get up in the morning, honestly, guys, I get up in the morning and I say, I cannot believe I get paid to do this. I mean, I love this. I am just so passionate about what I do. That's the way that I feel about being a pastor. And I don't get paid for being a pastor. But, you know, I bet you it's like I get up in the morning and I think, God, I love doing this. I'm passionate about this. I love doing what I do. I love sharing the Word of God with you. I love seeing God's Word come into your life. I love talking to people that are going through a divorce. I mean, you know, I, I can't tell you the men and women that I've talked to. and I mean, the, they are ready to sign the papers and talking to them about the power of God and seeing the power of God come into their lives and change their lives. You know what? Tear that paper up. This thing is going to work with the help of God. Amen. All right. Man, I've said a lot, and I haven't even got to the word yet. All right. So, Lord, help me. Well, I was talking to Jason about this. I was listening to Francis Chan uh, the other day, and a lot of churches have what they call a countdown clock in the back. You know, it's like big red letters, you know, and it's telling you how much time that you have left, you know. And uh, he was just saying, you know, that when I look at that, you know, he said, I used to get nervous, but he said that I look at that now and I think that I've got 40 minutes left. Not that I have 40 minutes left, so don't, not to get, wor not to get worried. But he says, I look at that and I, if I got 40 minutes left and I think, if this is the last word that I could ever share with these people in 40 minutes, you know, am I going to be satisfied with what I share? And I feel that way today. I feel that, you know, if I have whatever time I have to share the Word of God with you, I feel like if I never share with you again, that I'll be satisfied today sharing the Word with you. Okay? Um, so, uh, 
we see uh, after the 40 years has expired, uh, the children of Israel are through walking in the desert. And then God tells Moses, he says, now you're going to die. And he says, I want you to raise up a young man. He says, I want you to encourage a young man by the name of Joshua. And Joshua is going to take these people across. You're not going to be able to go across. You're not going to be able to lead them into, into the promised land. He says, but I want you to raise Joshua up. And so it, the scripture says, and I am in um, Joshua chapter 6. It says, and on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner. You guys remember, this is a story about the, the walls of Jericho. The walls of Jericho come tumbling down. And you used to sing it probably in Sunday school when you were a kid. Um, but it says that, uh, they, you know, uh, this, this really is, this is the first test for them. This is the first major battle. Uh, the walls of Jericho were thick walls. These weren't just like our little adobe walls. I mean, these are walls that you probably could put horses and chariots on and have races around. I mean, they were thick, intense walls. But God's saying, for seven days they walked around the city. And then, and then the Lord is saying, on, and on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day they circled the city seven times. And the seventh time around, when the priest sounded the, tra uh, the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout! Amen? For the Lord has given you the city. Here's the, this is the goodness of God. He says, the city and all that's in it are devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute. Now think about this. You've got this entire city, and we talk about the hammer of God, the, the wrath of God, the vengeance of God, and God is saying, you know what? There's, there, there's a couple of people that I want to save in this city. Before this city is destroyed, there's one prostitute that I want to save, and her name is Rahab because she believed, unlike the ten spies that came back with a bad report, she believed that Israel was coming in to take over that city. He says, uh, only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her and in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies that we sent. But listen to this. But keep away from the devoted thing. Now, the devoted thing in this case right here, God was saying, because this is the first city. Now, <clears throat> I want you to just keep this in mind. When we talk about the first, I mean, the Bible's very clear on the first of everything. The first male child, the first male sheep, the first male goat, the first male everything, uh, even child, uh, everything first. Even the first fruits of your increase, your money, the first goes to God. Everything goes to God. And because this was the first city, God is saying everything in that city, all the gold, all the silver, everything that's of value is for me. And so he says, but keep away from the devoted thing, just as I mentioned, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable for destruction and bring trouble on it. Uh, all the silver and gold and all the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. That's in uh, Joshua chapter 6, verse 15. And so now we see, but is, the Israelites, they go in, they do exactly what happened. The walls come tumbling down. Israel is victorious. Now it's time for the second battle. And the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted thing. Now Achan, the son of Can, uh, Carmi, the son of Zimri, um, the son of Zerah the, of the tribe of Judah, took some of those things. So we got one guy out of, you know, how many, remember, you guys remember how many men came out of Egypt? They didn't number women and children, but only men over 21. How many came out? Say it again. 600,000. Thank you. Who said that? Beat Jonathan, of course. <laughs> All right, 600,000. Six, oh, so 600,000 men. So that, you know, uh, theologians, you know, guess and estimate, you know, I mean, if a man over 21 had a wife and typically, you know, two or three kids, there could have been as many as two, two and a half, maybe three million total people. But 600,000 fighting men came out. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon to the east of uh, Beth-El, and told them, go up and spy out the region. 
And the men up, went up and spied out Ai. And when they returned, they said to Joshua, not all of the army must go up against Ai. Just send two or 3,000 out of the 600,000 fighting, fighting men. Don't weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. So about 3,000 went up. But they were routed by men of Ai who killed 36 of them. And they chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries. And they struck, down, struck them down on the slopes. Uh, at this, the heart of the people, talking about the children of Israel, melted in fear and became like water. And Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord and remained there till evening. And the elders of Israel did the same and they sprinkled dust on their heads. This was just a sign of, of mourning and, and repentance and weeping before the Lord. And just, you know, sackcloth and ashes, you've heard that term before. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you even bring these people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? He said, we would have been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now? That Israel has been routed by its enemies and the Canaanites and other people of this land will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. And what then will you do for your own name, a great name? So Joshua is in this, and the elders are, is in this attitude of prayer. They're seeking the face of God, and, and, and they're praying, and, and they're just like, God, you've got to help us. God, hear my prayer, hear my prayer. God, you've got to hear our prayer, hear our prayer. And listen to what God says. And the Lord said to Joshua, stand up. Some translation says, get up. Like, what are you doing on your, on your face? What are you doing down there praying? You know, there's something going on here that you need to know about. He says, Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant. He says, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things that were, that, and they have stolen and they have lied and put them in with their own possessions. That is why, now listen to this, and this is important for us today. That is why Israel cannot stand against their enemy. The Bible says that we have an enemy. His name is Satan. He wants to, the Bible says he wants to rob. That would be, you know, anything that you have that's of value, whether it's your finances or your family, that he's come to rob and steal and to kill and to destroy. That's, that's, the, that's what the enemy has done, uh, you know, that's what he does. Jesus says, I've come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly, the contrast between the two, life and death. And he says, that is why is the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their back and they run and they have been made liable to destruction and I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever is among you that is devoted to destruction. So I'm going to just talk about, you know, three, type, three groups of people. I, I want to just say, first of all, you know, I'm not pointing a finger at anybody because I have been all three of these people, okay? I've been in all three groups of these people. So I'm, I'm just, you know, let me just preach to myself, okay, and you guys listen. And, and, you know, and if it fits you, if you think it fits you, then, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll find the solution at the end. The prayers of a sinner. If I regard iniquity or sin in my heart, what that simply means is, is if, if I read God's word and God says something is sin, and I just say, you know what, I don't care what God says. If he says it's sin or not, I don't care. Uh, I'm going to continue to live my life my way. I'm going to do it my way uh, in the uh, words of that great philosopher, Blue Eyes. Uh, you know, singing about, I did it my way. Um, you know, it says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Will not hear what? He will not hear my prayer. If I cling to my, I, it's just like I, I'm, I'm clinging to sin, clinging to my sinful ways right here, and then trying to pray to God. Pray to God. And, you know, it's the scripture saying it very clear that God won't listen. He says, and then he says in um, Proverbs chapter 1, it says, they will call on me, but I will not answer. And they will seek me diligently, but, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge. They hated my word. They did not choose the fear of the Lord. They chose to be disobedient to the word of God. First John chapter 4, it says, Whosoever claims to love God, and this is that scripture that I was talking about earlier, just with regard to, you know, what's going on in our nation, what's going on, what just went on in South Carolina. If someone claims to love God, and yet hates a brother or a sister, he's a liar. You claim to love God, and you hate someone else. The Bible says that you're a liar, and then he explains why. He says that 
Whosoever does not love their brother or their sister who they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Said, how, how are you going to love, you know, say you love God who you haven't seen and hate your brother or sister who you have seen? You know, God's saying that that won't work. That just won't work. And that's something that will stop God from hearing your prayers. If you have hatred towards someone. And uh, as I said, I'm, I'm talking to myself every once in a while. I find myself just like, oh my gosh, if I could just get my hand around, you know, this guy's neck. And it's like the Holy Spirit's like, really? What are you going to do then? I say, okay, Lord, all right. Back up, back up, back up. I'm sorry. Get those thoughts out of my heart, out of my mind. And then he goes on to say in, in uh, you know, 1 Corinthians, he says, don't think, uh, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, don't, don't be deceived, neither fornicators or adulterers, idolaters, that's worshiping statues, or adulterers or homosexuals or sodomites or thieves or covetous or drunkards or re, uh, revilers or extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, he's saying that, you know, and then, you know, then listen to what he says. He's writing to the church, and he says, some of you were these kind of people, but the power of God came into your life, and it says that now, because God has come into your life, and because you were, you know, that type of person that I just mentioned, whatever it is, fill in the blank, because you used to be like that, the power of God came into your life, and it says that you've been washed. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, it makes no difference what that sin is. If we confess our sins, and you can just think of the worst thing in your mind, there's no measurement, there's no scale in God's eye. Oh, he did a little number one, and he did a number ten. You know, it's not like that. Sin is sin in the eyes of God. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life that Jesus came to die for our sins, that God loved the world so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for our sins, whether in your mind they're big or whether in your mind they're little. But he goes on to say that some of you were these kind of people, but now you've been washed by the blood, that you've been sanctified. The Holy Spirit is just changing you. doesn't mean that you're perfect. I want to just say this right now. There are no perfect people in this place. There's not one perfect person in this place today. And if Billy Graham was here today, I could say the same thing. And if the Pope was here today, I could say the same thing. There are no perfect people. There's only one perfect person that's ever lived, and his name is Jesus. That's why God chose him to be the sacrifice for our sins. Amen? All right. So he says that you've been washed, that you've been sanctified, you've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he talks about another thing that will hinder our prayers. It says that, you know, husbands likewise dwell with, with your wives. And um, he says, as a weaker vessel, and, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get off on that right now. In the eyes of God, the Bible says that when God looks at men and women, he doesn't see men and women. He says that everybody's the same. You know, whether you're, you're, and they had slavery during this time as well. But he said, whether you're slave or you're free, or you're a man, or you're a woman, or you're a Jew, or you're a Gentile. God looks at all of us the same. But he goes on to say about husbands and wives, you know, that, that you need to live together in harmony. But listen to what he says. Why? So that your prayers will not be hindered, or that your prayers will not be unanswered. And then he goes on to say in uh, Isaiah chapter 59, the hand of the Lord is not shortened that it can't not save, and his ear is not heavy that he cannot hear. But listen to this. But your sins, my sins, have separated me from God. And that's why David said when after he had the affair with Bathsheba and had her husband murdered, you know, he recognized that there was separation in his life between him and God that there wasn't a closeness that he used to feel between him and God. And he says that, he says it's not that God's hand is shortened or not that he's deaf that he can't hear your prayers, but your sins have separated you from God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Now, I've been in places like that, guys, where, you know, it's just like I pray to God and pray to God and I feel like, oh, God, man, you know, it's just like, where are you? You feel like, it just seems like you're a million miles away. And... The Holy Spirit will say, 
look, Ron, and you're, you're holding a grudge against this person or you're thinking evil thoughts against that person. And, and the Holy Spirit begins to remind me of sin in my own life. And then I just like, God, I, you know, I, I want you to break that. I, I don't want to be separated from you. I want to have a right relationship with you. And I'm asking you, Father, to forgive me. Forgive me those evil thoughts that I've had. Forgive me for living life about, you know, where I'm only concerned about me. I get so caught up in life that my only concern is about me and nobody else. And I ask that you'd forgive me for that. So other things that would hinder our prayer, unforgiveness, unbelief. And then let's contrast that to the prayers of a righteous man. It says, and then they hurled insult at him and said, you know, this is talking about in John chapter 9, when Jesus heals the blind man, and, uh, you know, they, they, they begin to question him. How did you get healed? How, how is it you were healed? And he said, well, I just simply, you know, just Jesus did it. I don't know how he did it. He put mud on my eyes, told me to go wash, you know, in the pool, and I came away, and I'm blind, and now I get to see. And the religious leaders were, you know, we don't know anything. We know about Moses, but we don't know anything about this guy. And so they begin to hurl insults at him. These are the religious leaders talking to the blind man. He says, you are this fellow's disciples. Talking about the blind man that used to be blind, now he can see. He said, you're a disciple of his. We are Moses' disciples. And we know that God spoke to Moses, but as, this, as for this fellow, speaking about Jesus again, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man answered, now listen to this. This blind man, I believe, I mean, he had a lot of insight. He said, this is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opens my eyes. We know, listen to this, we know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of the opening of the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Now, what, he, what this blind man is saying, and he's actually referring to a couple of Old Testament scriptures that talk about when the Messiah comes, this is one of the things that he would do. Like Moses did a lot of miracles, and there are a lot of miracles that were done in the Old Testament. Naaman was a leper. He was healed of his leprosy. There were people that were raised from the dead in the Old Testament, people raised from the dead in the New Testament. There were crippled people, all kinds of, all kinds of miracles, very similar Old Testament and New Testament. But there was one miracle that was never done in the Old Testament, and that was the opening of the eyes of a blind person. And this guy is saying, look, it's never been heard of that the eyes of a blind person have been opened. He's talking about Isaiah 35, 5, you can read it there, and Isaiah 42, 7, you can read it there. That when the Messiah comes, one of the things that you will be able to recognize the Messiah by is that he will be able to open the eyes of a blind person. Uh, in James chapter 5, it says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, talking about the prayers of a righteous man. And, and I know that many of you get tripped up on that because you look at your life and you look at how weak you are and you look at your faults and your mistakes and, and you start thinking, well, you know, I'm not sure that I want to put myself in the category of a righteous uh, person. But the Bible says, listen to this closely, because when we talk about righteousness, we're not talking about the good deeds that we do. We're not talking about living a holy, sinless life. The Bible says that he, talking about Jesus, who knew no sin, was made to be sin for us, that we might be, the people that believe in Jesus, that we might be made the righteousness of God through him. So the Bible says that Abraham believed God and God counted that to Abraham as righteousness. So when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you say, I'm trusting you for my salvation, I'm trusting you to be my Lord and my God, I'm trusting you to, to wash away my sins, you're putting your faith in him, and God said, that's it. That's it. Right? There's the answer right there. I mean, you don't have to beat yourself up. You don't, you don't have to look at how miserable your life is or what, all the mistakes that you've made in life. You don't have to look at any of those things. All you have to know is, that you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And when you did that, God said, I see righteousness. I don't see, I don't see sinners anymore. I see men and women that have become righteous because they have put their faith in my son, Jesus. And so in James, uh, we're reading here, it says that Elijah was a man with a nature, with a sin nature, with thoughts like we have, with actions like we have. You know, he was a, a sinful man as well. 
And it says that because he believed in God, he prayed that it would not rain, and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. Uh, and then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. And the Bible goes on to say that, listen to this, that whatever we ask, we receive from him. Whatever, whatever, whatever. I mean, what does that mean? Is that talking about your children? Yes. Is that talking about your job? Yes. Talking about your future? Yes. Talking about your finances? Yes. It's talking about all of those things. Everything that you could just fill in the blank with. That whatever we ask in his name, it says that, it says that we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So we talked about the prayers of a sinner. We talked about the prayers of a righteous person. And now I want to talk about those that have just absolutely walked away. It's just like, you know, God, I've had it. I've had it with church. I've had it with the Bible. You know, you weren't there for me. I'm just done. I am done, 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 and I'm, I'm out of here. I'm walking away. I'm walking away from God. I'm walking away from God's people. I'm walking away from the church. I don't want, I don't want anything to do with you anymore, Lord, or your word or your people. I'm done. But listen to what the word says. I charge you. Therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the quick and the dead at his appearing, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove and rebuke and exhort with all long suffering of doctrine. For the time will come, and that's the time that we're living in right now, when people will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. I'm going to go to the church down there. I'm going to go to the church over there because they're saying, they're preaching something that makes me feel good inside. I don't, I don't want somebody telling me about my sins. You guys remember the story about the guy that had been, you know, he'd been stranded on, on, on this island for, you know, years and years and years. You know, he just stranded there. And all of a sudden, you know, just one day he sees a, a boat out on the horizon, you know, a big cruise ship, and then he sees the little you know, like a rubber raft, you know, kind of like heading toward the island. It's the captain of the ship, and he, he's coming to the island. And, you know, it's like, you know, the guy's telling him a story. He said, man, my boat's sunk, and I've been here for like five years. Nobody's ever come by. And, and the captain's like, man, I'm amazed, you know. You know, just tell me, just give me a history. How did it happen, and what have you been doing for the last five years? And the guy says, well, I've just been living here just trying to survive. And he says, well, tell me about, you know, he says, this is your house, obviously. This is where you live. And he said, what's that building over there? And he said, well, it's a church, you know. He says, uh, I built that. It's a church. And he said, what's that, the building, what's that building over there? He said, well, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> you, know, you know, I tell you what, and, and this is what the Word of God is saying right here. You know, that, uh, you know, it's like if I don't like what the pastor's saying, if I don't like the music, I don't like the music, I don't like the children's ministry, you know, if I, you know, it's just like we make it all about us and nothing about God. And when we come in this place, we need to come in here with hearts that are, you know, like, God, I want to worship you. You've been so good to me. You have been good to me. Yes, there's been some setbacks in my life. There's been some problems in my life. But you, God, you know, when I look back, when I look back over the course of my life, God, you have been good to me. Two more scriptures and we're out of here. Uh, in James chapter 5, verse 19, it says, If anyone among you wanders from the truth, that's the person that says, I'm done with God, I'm done with this book, done with church. If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burden, and in that way you will fulfill the royal law. Now this is how God feels about you today. From Jeremiah chapter 29, we have this scripture written on the overhead of our foyer. Right out, said, right out these doors, if you walk out, you'll read this scripture, or part, a portion of the scripture. But God says, you're wondering where God is in your life. You're wondering about things that you've been through. 
God, where were you? In fact, I saw in, uh, in the video clip of that disaster, that, that tragedy, that murder of that church, one woman was holding up a flyer that had this word, why? Why did this happen? Why? But God said, I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Thoughts of peace, not evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then he goes on to say, it's talking about prayer, that you will call upon me and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me. When you search for me with all of your heart, I'll be found by you, says the Lord. Now listen, as I read this last scripture, I want our prayer ministers, if you guys will just come forward, kind of line up here and against that back wall. And if any of you need prayer for any reason at all, anything going on in your life, anything that was said this morning that may, you know, triggered something in your spirit and you're thinking, I need prayer about this. I want you to listen to this word right here. That God is not slack concerning his promise about the return, his return, as some count slackness, but he's long-suffering toward us. Listen, God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That is the heart of God. That's the heart of God this morning, that God is not willing. I don't care how bad that person has been. I don't care how bad your boss has been to you or your relative has been to you, how, how bad that you've been abused. You know, I, I, you know, it's not that I don't care about what you're going through. I do care about that. But what I'm trying to say is that there's no person on this earth right now that God doesn't care about. And he's concerned. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Why don't you stand with me for a moment? I want to pray with you. I want to remind you that please don't, do not leave this place. I know it's Father's Day, but guess what? That restaurant will still have food when you get there if you show up 10 minutes late. Okay? So if you need prayer for any reason, you know, if there's some brokenness going on in your life, if you need some healing in your life, if you need restoration in your life, if you need a job, if you need a better job, if you're going through a financial struggle right now, our prayer ministers are here. They want to pray with you. They're here and willing and fired up and prayed up. And we know that God will listen to our prayers. If we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just, again, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, that he will wash us in the blood of Jesus. So let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. And I just want to give you an opportunity this morning. If Jesus has been speaking to you, if the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you, and you know that you've been distant from God, you know that somehow you've kind of like put God on the back burner with all of your busyness, that you know, you've been preoccupied with life. It was John Lennon that said that life is what happens between the plans that we've made. you got plans for this afternoon and tomorrow and next week, and then all of a sudden you get that dreaded phone call or the bad news at the office or a bad doctor's report, but you had plans. You had plans for other things, and then all of a sudden life throws you a curveball. And God is saying that today that I'm here to help you get through that. I'm helping you to get through the hurt, the pain, the sorrow that's going on in your life, I'm here to help you with your life. If you feel like you're just stuck, feel like the children of Israel that for your 40 years in the wilderness again and around and around and around you go and you're stuck in one spot and you feel like it's time to move on, join up with one of our prayer uh, ministers and let them pray for you. But before we start praying, you know, if you feel like that you're one of those people distant from God, maybe don't even know God, I want you to raise your hand. Nobody's looking. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, but I want you to raise your hand. I want you to raise your hand and say, God, I want to get back. I'm tired of being in the wilderness. I want you, God. I, I need you. I want that restoration in my life. I want to get back in a right relationship with you. I thank you. I see, you know, about a half a dozen hands that are up, and I just want to pray with you first. If you just simply say, Father, forgive me my sins. Restore my life. Bring healing into my life. Make my life right with you. I give you permission today to do your work. 
that I may be cleansed by the blood of Jesus, that I may be sanctified, that I may be justified because all of the things that Jesus has done for me. I choose life over death today. I choose you, and I choose your son, Jesus. And Father, I just pray for a great outpouring of your Holy Spirit on every family here today. Lord, your power, Lord, that you would fill us up afresh, anoint us anew by the power of your Holy Spirit today, Lord, that as we walk out, that we would be encouraged by life, God, that we'd be encouraged by you. We've got the greatest message the world has ever heard, and that is that God loves you. He is the original God of the milk carton looking for the lost son or daughter with their face on the milk carton. God is the originator of that. He's looking for the lost. He came to seek and to save the lost. And if you're lost today and you feel that way and you acknowledge him, guess what? He's taking your name off the milk carton and he's saying, Welcome home! Welcome home. Amen? Let's give a shout of praise to our God because he is a good God. Amen. I just want to tell you guys that I love you. God bless you. Have a great week. Uh, you know, uh, I want to encourage you to stop by the uh, snack bar out there and Will and uh, his family. Uh, I got, you guys still serving out there? Are you, okay, they're still there? You just Even if you don't get anything, you don't buy anything, just leave some money. All right? Amen. All right. God bless you guys. Have a great week.